This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We welcome you to Real Talk on this Tuesday morning, the heels of a family day long weekend. Hope you had a fantastic one. Jesperson here with John Hicks flying this good plane. Good morning. And uh, in just a second, we'll check in with uh, Justin Bourne, uh, former pro hockey player. He's a, a hockey commentator. He's a columnist. He's a radio host for Sportsnet, and he is the author of a new book, Down and Back, on alcohol, family, and a life in hockey. We're going to ask a personal question uh, to you and to us. Do you drink too much? <laughs> this is a touchy subject for a lot of people. Obviously, it's one, uh, maybe a conversation that you've had with your doctor or maybe not, maybe with your loved ones, maybe not. Maybe you've sworn off the booze like Justin did. He was showing off his four years sober coin on Twitter just a few days ago and obviously uh, a huge accomplishment there for people uh, for whom alcohol has been a big part of their life. We're going to get to Jamie's email on that in just a moment. This is a, a segment, an interview coming up that has been prompted in part by a real talker. Jamie really got us thinking uh, with what she sent us. And of course, we got a lot of other stuff to talk about as well. Over the weekend, oh, yeah. it was Julie a- Black yeah. uh, introduced at the NBA All-Star Game as, as Canada's queen of R&B with her own rendition of Canada, uh, changing, tweaking just one word. Uh, but with that one word, obviously a huge change in meaning. And I wanted to put this on your radar. Uh, we do have an unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll that's up right now on my personal Twitter, at Ryan Jesperson. And we'd love for you to chime in. Are you cool with Julie Black's rendition of O Canada? It's just gone up. So if you're if you're listening to this or watching this live streaming, I mean, you can get in. There's just four votes, John. I posted it 10 seconds ago. So far, half of our respondents, so two of them, are cool with it. Uh, one of them is absolutely not, and one of them says it's complicated. Should we roll the tape in case people aren't quite familiar sure, with, it, with, with, the, with the personal stamp, with the stamp up, up, up coming from a place of conviction that she put on it? Here's Julie Black over the weekend at the NBA All-Star Game. Oh, Canada. Our home on a native land. And with that word, mm-hmm. on native land, she started a national conversation. Do you have an, an initial inclination when you, when you first heard it? What was your very first thought? The very first thought was I liked it. Yeah. And then as we talked about it more, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's two sides to this, and I I think you know why. And uh, we've changed the anthem recently back to, you know, back to a lot of people don't know, but in like 1908, it originally said in thou dost command, and now it's... In, in all of us command. Yeah, which is very and similar in between, to... in all thy sons command. Yeah, it was changed. So there's been some little changes. That's a small change. And, and I did smile when I heard it first. Yeah. But I can see why people would maybe not be too excited. Well, because a lot of people will hold the national anthem as sacred, right? Oh, of course. And so you remember even when when the uh, the liberal government, and, and even by saying that, I mean, I'm being accurate, but you also wonder, am, am I imposing uh, sort of a, uh, a partisan lens on this? Was it the liberal government that changed the lyrics to O Canada? It was. Uh, but is that relevant? I don't know. Making the anthem gender neutral, so to speak, in all of us command instead of in all of uh, in all thy sons command. Now, keep in mind, uh, everything that is was not always there. The current Canadian yeah. flag was not always the Canadian flag. The current Canadian anthem was not always the national anthem. Now, the lyric change to in all of us command was along the lines of gender equality. This obviously sure. a reference uh, to the first peoples on this land, to mm-hmm. Canada's history and to the history of this land before Canada. And there was a, a really remarkable and impressive interview that Julie Black did with The National. Mm-hmm. I saw it last night on, on CBC, and she got quite emotional, as a matter of fact. She says she was talking to a personal friend of hers, an indigenous uh, man who, who had conveyed to her how much it meant to him personally to hear her acknowledge 
this nation's history and the history wow. of these lands before this was a nation. Yeah. My personal feeling on it, I understand that it's contentious. I think Julie Black knew that she was going to kickstart a national conversation. She obviously pauses and places great emphasis on that word. Of course, yeah. On, by the way, her rendition of O Canada. Stunningly beautiful. Amazing. I mean, she's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I kind of like it permanently, to be honest with you. I wonder if some people might start imposing this as, you know, and, or start adopting this, let me say, as, as their version of O Canada. Mm-hmm. We've changed the lyrics before. We could change the lyrics again. It's not the first time that a performer has tweaked or changed the lyrics to O Canada. No, and that's where the problem lies. <laughs> you now, like this, this version, but... Yeah, yeah. no, th- this is obviously a completely different version. And, and and I want to say to you, well, I'm not comparing the two. And you'll say, well, that's literally exactly what you're doing is comparing the two. <laughs> Here's some context. Okay, back in 2016, uh, Major League Baseball invited the Canadian tenors to perform Canada's national anthem, to perform O Canada at its all-star game and one of the tenors at the time uh, Remigio Pereira put his own personal stamp on this now keep in mind at this time uh, in 2016 this was in a sense the initial rise of the Black Lives Matter movement Mm -hmm. and this is what Mr. Pereira did uh, performing in front of an audience uh, right around a billion people around the world Canada, our home and native land, true patriot love, in all thy sons command, we're all brothers and sisters. So he rolls out with the all lives matter take as the world is grappling with the uh, reality around how uh, black Americans are being treated by police and in, in in a system of systemic racism. And I think the average listener or viewer of Real Talk will understand the complexities around this and the problematic nature of arguing all lives matter in the middle of a black lives matter movement. So this begs the question, when is it okay to change the lyrics to O Canada? Uh, to remind everybody who may not remember, Pereira was booted from the Canadian yeah, tenors for that Yeah, he got ostracized stunt. for that, right? The yeah. other three had no idea he was going to do it. They were blindsided. He's holding up an All Lives Matter sign during the anthem. He had it tucked into his blazer before they headed out there, and mm-hmm. obviously it kickstarted a firestorm of controversy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a very divisive move. I don't know if you can say the same. I don't think you can say the same about what Julie Black did over the weekend. Uh, We'll check in on this unscientific, unofficial Twitter poll through the show today. And, of course, we'll leave this up for 24 hours as we do. We'll review it tomorrow. Uh, Looking at 88 votes right now. And and, and just over half, 58% say you love it. Uh, About 20%, one in five say you're absolutely not cool with it. And about the same amount, 21% say it's complicated. If you want to get into what it's complicated means or or, or what you're wrestling with or what you're grappling with, uh, this is a subjective type of a conversation. This is a gray areas type of a conversation. Please feel free to leave a comment on Twitter or, of course, you can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We love scenarios like this that really make us think about not just what we feel about a situation, but why. So let's sink our teeth into it. Uh, We lead off this morning and we lead off this week uh, with an interview that I've been looking forward to for for quite some time. Uh, This guy is an impressive human being. Uh, He's lived an impressive life. He is currently uh, holding an impressive job. (laughs) He's a former pro hockey player and coach. He's an NHL analyst uh, on Sportsnet. He's the host of Real Kipper and Born on Sportsnet 590. He's also the author of the new book, Down and Back on Alcohol, Family, and a Life in Hockey. It's a real pleasure to welcome Justin Bourne to Real Talk. My man, you're making your debut on the show today. Thanks for making time for us. It's good to see your face. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, of course. So, so, so we're starting. We're, we're, we're promoting the show today uh, with a pretty personal question to our audience and to ourselves, and that's, do you drink too much? Uh, it's a question that most people would probably prefer not 
to grapple with. Uh, but this is exactly the type of conversation that your book is is kickstarting. When did you decide to put your personal experience down into the pages of a book? Um, you know, I had planned on writing a, a book, a hockey book, for some time, and I think in the process of trying to. You know, I wanted to touch on all the different cultural things in hockey, whether it's partying, drinking, drugs, alpha machismo, all that kind of stuff. And so I thought the best way to do that might be to use my own chronology, my own timeline to, to weigh in. And then as I started to do that, it's impossible to do that without getting into where I have come and what has happened in my dad's past and all that. So I was about a couple of years out of, uh, of treatment when I decided uh, to, to be a part of the bigger conversation and hopefully to, you know, I wanted to have conversations like this and connect with people. And then who was the agency that came out and said, you can have two drinks a week safely, yeah. like right when the book came out. And I was like, I don't know if people are going to like that too much, but it certainly makes it a more relevant conversation right now. Yeah. I was having this conversation just this weekend with, with friends of ours. And one of them was convinced that the health Canada guidelines were 15 drinks a week. And he was proud of himself for coming in just under that level. <laughs> and the other said, no, 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 it's changed to two. And, every, and, and he turned around and he went, two? Two? Oh, no. How am I supposed to drink two? Uh, for context, for people that might not know, Justin, uh, your dad, Bob Bourne, part of one of the NHL's great dynasties, four Stanley Cups uh, with the New York Islanders. There, there was a reality, I suppose, as you write about in your book, around alcoholism, around dependency that was flying under your radar, I guess, understandably, as, as a young boy. Yeah, you know, like uh, I think when my dad played in the NHL, it was a little different. Like he he talked about when you know the Islanders were winning their cups, they actually did some renovations to the dressing room so they could build a card room off the back, sit around and drink beers after the game in the dressing room before everyone drove home. You know, then that was just like a different a different environment and a different culture. So yeah, I didn't see that side of it as much, but you know, I saw when he was done with his playing days you know, the parties, he had a celebrity golf tournament. So a lot of his old teammates would come by and come back to the house and, you know, chip golf balls in the backyard and drink 304 beers. And I thought it looked like a pretty good time. Um, I went on to find out that that sort of environment is a pretty good time. Some of us are just not wired to be able to handle that good time the way that others are. Hmm. But you, so you, you know, we fast forward a few years and, and by the way, I'm, I'm totally cool if our conversations jumping all over the place chronologically. Uh, what I found interesting, one of the things that you share in your book is that in your first few years of junior hockey, you weren't a big boozer. I mean, I think a, a lot of people yeah. might assume that the minute uh, that, that, that a young person moves away from home or the, the minute they're into a team scenario or trying to earn the approval of their peers or, or whatever the case may be that that alcohol may be a big part of that but but you weren't hitting the bottle at 12 13 14 15 years old no and that's you know my, my dad left when i was eight years old he was coaching in the international hockey league the old las vegas thunder and utah grizzlies teams of yore so um you know i grew up in a house with a single mother and my mom didn't drink a whole lot and i had some sense of what our family history was so i was a little bit careful with the drinking but also i just you know, we had had some stress in our lives and I didn't want to be a problem for our family. And so once I went off to university at 2021, 20, you know, I, I was I felt a little bit more free away from the family to dabble a little bit. But, yeah, I spent three years of junior hockey bringing a case of Coca-Cola to the parties. And um, that that felt normal to me at the time. And I'm grateful eventually having gotten sober that I got to know myself sober in the first place. Some of the people in, in treatment that I ran into had been drinking from such a young age, they just hadn't ever known themselves as a sober person. And I'm I'm grateful that I had that to fall back on. Hmm. You, when you talk about going into treatment, that's obviously a huge step. And, and for some people, that'll be a necessary step, but it's got to start somewhere, right? I think, I think for, yeah. for the average person, I mean, we almost joke about this, except for it's not funny. And I, and I think that most people that imbibe have had those mornings where they're in the shower and they're dragging their ass. They're, they're leaning against the wall. They're wishing they didn't have to go to work. They're, 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 that yeah. sort of idea of, please, God, make this go away, and I promise I'll never drink again. I mean, people joke about that, but, but that yeah. is a conversation internally that a lot of people have. How many of those did you have before you took a couple remarkable steps? Uh, it's, you know, it's years. It's not, like, it's not like I woke up and went, boy, I don't want to feel this hangover. It was, you know, I, I had been for 10 years – drinking straight vodka out of a water bottle hidden in my house at various points of the day. You know, I, I think I wrote in the book that at one point, I think before I got sober, 
I wouldn't have had a 0.00 blood alcohol level for five months. Like, you know, drink through the night in the morning. Uh, it just, you know, I, I had completely lost track of it. So the ability to feel a hangover when you're that kind of alcoholic is different. You don't wake up and feel nauseous or want Taco Bell. I just need more alcohol to be able to kind of balance out the shakes. And, you know, I, one thing I've been saying to some, to people in having this conversation more frequently is like, you know, there was no uh, rock bottom for me, you know, no day where I did something terrible. Um, it just was the daily erosion of getting 1% worse as a person, my health, my relationships, my employment, that washing my life, you know, not get worse day to day, but then you step back and go over the last six months, everything is so much worse. That to me was my, oh my God, I can't keep living like this rather than a day where I woke up and I like, you know, hooked up with my boss or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Did you, uh, did you like when you look back on your hockey career, you, you, you had an opportunity to, to play pro. Um, obviously, you, you know, you, ha you have the lineage, you, you, the gene pool uh, would be favorable to you. Uh, you know, did, did, did you look back and, or do you look back now and, and look at alcohol or, or, or your, your dependence on alcohol as something that may have stood in the way of, of of playing a regular shift in the National Hockey League? Yeah, you know, and so I'll be clear about one thing. I don't think I was going to play in the NHL. Like, I don't think it was alcohol that kept me short, but I never gave myself a fair shake at it, and that does eat at me a little bit. You know, I, I would say I only took being a professional hockey player serious or the idea of it maybe in my latest teen years, maybe when I reached university. Had a few years of really working hard in the summer and getting better. And I could see the strides I was making. It was happening for me. And then I lost somewhere towards the end of university. I lost the summers of progress where I started drinking too much and partying too much. And, um, you know, the summer I went to Islander after I went to Islanders camp, I had given it a really good go. And then during that season, I was just so beat up after a full season of pro hockey, you know, Islanders camp, American league, ECHL, American league, ECHL playoffs, all that sort of stuff that that summer I was, that was the first time drinking really affected my hockey where instead of being back in the gym two or three weeks after the season, it was maybe six weeks, maybe seven weeks, almost two months before I got back at it. And it was just too late to really make any gains that summer. So the next year the Islanders invited me back to, to training camp. I'd had a good year with them and they wanted me to come back. And I was so ashamed that I was going to be in worse shape than I was the year before. And I have my family name with my dad having played for the Islanders that I didn't want to go there and embarrass the family name. I didn't want to be worse, which I was worried I was going to be. And I declined. Mm. I'd be the only guy to ever decline an NHL training camp invite and in instead chose to go to Hershey in the American Hockey League to see if I could just play there and get myself in shape and then to have a good season. I tore my MCL in Hershey and never got that year on track. Mm. How much did becoming a dad factor into to your decision to make some pretty significant life changes? Uh, I mean, not going to say it's everything because my wife and the rest of my family are worth it too, but it's pretty close, pretty close to everything. You know, I, my son, when I went to treatment was two and a half years old and uh, he doesn't remember that time. And I'm so grateful he doesn't. And I just, I don't want him to ever have to know that version of me. And I've just, it's been, you know, it's like the, the greatest source of pride for me in making this change is that I didn't lose the chance to be his dad every day and to deal with the minutia. This morning at my house was awful, awful. Two kids trying to get into daycare, school, whatever. The things weren't going right. And I'm so glad to be there through that. Mm. That's the stuff, man, that like, you know, you end up understanding where the kids are coming from and what shapes them and being able to teach the little lessons and all that and that being able to be a part of the days that are challenging like that are as meaningful to me as the best days. I'm, you know, and I know I would have missed that had I continued on the same path. I, 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 you're, I mean, your book, everybody's talking about it. I, I mean, and, and one of the things I think is really neat is that they're talking about it on uh, sports shows and sports columnists are writing about it. And, and then, you know, news columnists or mainstream opinion columnists are talking about it. You're kickstarting a conversation that's that's very important. And for a lot of people, obviously, I'm sure this is what you're intending to do. It will prompt a look inside and people yeah. will start to evaluate their own uh, relationship with alcohol. 
you recently tweeted a photo holding up, you know, you're holding up that four years sober coin. And uh, do you have it in your hand right now? There it is. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> let me ask you. So some people will say I need to cut back. Some people say I'm only going to drink on the weekend. Some people say I drink on the holidays. Other people will say I can't touch it. Like, how yeah. did you find the decision that was right for you? You know, I tried a few things. I, you know, I had a few people say to me, and maybe some people out there ha have this too, question the amount I was drinking. You know, like, is it excessive? And then, you know, you get defensive. As an alcoholic, you always protect the ability to drink at all costs. And so I'd say, I'm on vacation. If I can't drink, it's the weekend. It's the Super Bowl. It's whatever. You know, I, I almost always found an excuse to drink. And so I, I'd had a number of people, maybe three people in my life that asked me about it. I had an uncle, I had a brother-in-law, my mom, you know, and my wife all say, you know, we okay here. Can we keep this in check? And rather than heed the, that advice, I didn't want to get better. I didn't want to stop drinking till I needed to. I felt like I could manage it. And so I tried different avenues. I went to Chem H here in Toronto and um, tried harm reduction but I lied my way through that and drank the whole while in secret while claiming to try. Mm. Um, you know, like I just, when everyone wanted to help me and my, I was unable and unwilling to try for the people I love the most, I think it's safe to say I knew I, this is a very serious problem for me. There will be people out there who can manage their drinking, even though they've had problematic moments. Um, I just don't get to, I just, I'm not able to, you know, my, I guess in my family, it's, I have been, I have tested the waters here on this one. And part of the acceptance for me is not, not accepting that I'm an alcoholic, but accepting that this isn't like in a few years, I can go back and have a little wine and it's going to be okay. I actually did a uh, Bob McCown show yesterday with Trip Tracy, who said after five and a half years sobriety, he tried to, he, you know, he talked to his parents about it and tried again. And, you know, eventually it all, his world fell apart again. And I know that that's waiting for me. It's not going to be better. It's the worst. It's going to be worse. So I, I just have to accept that I am not a person who gets to. Uh, I would recommend anyone out there who's worried about it to just try and make sure you can stop if you want to. Because if you're fine that, ah, if, if you find a reason every time to keep drinking, it's time for some real reflection. Oh, one of the, one of the just to read a couple sentences out of your book. Uh, if you're just tuning in, live streaming audio on the Mixer Audio app presented by California Closets. We're talking to Justin Bourne, his, his brand new book just out. Uh, a few days ago, you write, well, I waited for my teammates and roommates to wake up. I had the thought for the first time, boy, it feels like I enjoy drinking way more than everyone else. That's not good. I didn't process the question I was developing about myself. Might I be an alcoholic? Now, mm -hmm. I've never attended an AA meeting, but I think it's probably uh, there's a lot of thought and intent and uh, and strategy quite frankly, that goes into the opening introduction that people make, right? Right? Like, yeah. my name is Justin, and I'm an alcoholic. The first time that you yeah. said that out loud, how did it feel, and what's been the impact, and do your feelings change when you say it on a show like this years later? No, you know, it's funny that that is something I think that varies a great deal, mm. you know, among alcoholics, how hard it is for them to accept that. You know, I had watched hockey players, I, and mostly, I'll be honest, retired hockey players who played with my dad, and I watched them, and I went, that guy's an alcoholic. You know, he's definitely an alcoholic, but he maintains a life. He signs autographs at events, and people love him, and he has his family, and I was like, I assumed that there were a lot of alcoholics who managed their condition and got through life managing it, and that was my goal. I wanted to be an alcoholic who managed his alcoholism which, you know, the first part of the program I follow is accepting that our lives had become unmanageable, which is ironic because it became unmanageable. So anyway, I had accepted that I was an alcoholic like five, 10 years before going to treatment, before going into the rooms and, and discussing with other people. So when I eventually came to the rooms and said, you know, hi, my name is Justin and I'm an alcoholic and everyone said, hi, Justin, I didn't do anything, didn't phase me one bit. I knew I was and had been. I know a lot of people, that's a big, big step, hearing themselves say it and coming to grips with it. For me, I had been trying to manage my alcoholism, and that was just not, didn't work for me. Mm. Hey, I want to, we, we have this uh, live tuning audience. Most people will hear this later in the day, but the, the live audience is, I think, the most engaged audience in Canada. And I want to read some of these comments. I want you to hear them. Like, like Lauren, for example, says, you can feel Justin's inner peace. 
do you feel that? Like, is is he on to something? Yeah. I mean, that, I'm so that makes me so happy to hear someone say that because uh, one of the questions I've been asked in the last couple of days is like, how do you cope with this? And it's like, I don't cope with this. I'm freed from it. Like, I'm not like, oh, like hang, white knuckling it, like trying to avoid alcohol. I, I was in chains. Like, I built my day around getting my next drink, hiding from my wife, hiding from my employers. I didn't want to go on trips because, you know, I didn't know where I'd get my drinks. Like, I am free now to live and to be a part of the beautiful family I have and to be a part of their lives and to be fulfilled in so many ways that I wasn't getting before. I don't feel like an imposter or a liar or all the things that I was for a while. I get to be free. Mm. And so I do feel an inner peace that, you know, I, I just wouldn't have believed I could have found when I was in the worst of it. Let me read a few more. Erica says, my husband comes from a long line of not really alcoholics, but let's call them problem drinkers or problematic drinkers. Uh, She says he quit cold turkey three and a half years ago. Our kids are young enough that they have no memory of him being a drinker. And hopefully that family curse can break with him. Uh, Mark says, I wondered if I was an alcoholic. So I stopped drinking for six months, uh, 23 years ago. He says, I never really started drinking again, and I I feel so much better. Allison makes a really great point. She says, you don't have to be an alcoholic to change your relationship with alcohol. 100%. Right? Yeah. No, that's, you know, my, I actually, my publicist, when I started this, is like, what is like the message? What's the one message you want to go get out through all this with with the book? And it was that I chose to make a change before I hit someone with my car drunk driving or my wife took my kid and moved back to New York or my employer told me, you know, before I was unhirable because I tweeted something awful. Like I chose to stop before uh, the world forced me to stop. And there's this misconception that there's rock bottom waiting for bad alcoholics, that they're going to have this awful event happen. that's going to change their lives. There's always a lower bottom if you keep drinking if you keep going back and and living the same way you had been living before so i'm a low bottom alcoholic but you don't have to be an alcoholic and this is a great point that that person made is that if you just want to change your habits that's an option too and you know the what's the expression like the best day to make the change is yesterday and the next best one is today yeah Uh, you know you, you it's just a choice you get to make you don't have to be forced into it um, Alyssa says, I know a few people who had to reevaluate their alcohol consumption during COVID. Uh, it becomes easy to use as a crutch. And, and Dean's is wondering if you could maybe says, I, could you ask Justin about how isolation can yeah. contribute to problem drinking? Can it be mitigated somewhat by online sources or resources like Zoom meetings or what have you? I mean, to, to bring back the conversation to, to hockey or to pro sports or to life on the road, uh, did you find isolation factoring in? Well, isolation is pro- is the number one cause, or not cause, but maybe goal of an alcoholic. You know, they, they say our condition drives a wedge between us and everything that we love, whether it's family, work, or whatever, to make more room for alcohol. And so, you know, being alone is, is absolutely one of the biggest triggers for a lot of people, and free time is another one. But yes, online, you know, connection can mitigate it. It's just connection. You know, for me, that that really is the opposite of, of alcoholism. Instead of sitting alone and hiding this existence, you know, if you have people around you that, you know, care about you and you feel like you have relationships, whatever it may be, you know, AA meetings for some people can be on Zoom or it doesn't, you know, whatever your connection may be, isolation is, is something to fight back against. And a lot of people will say before they relapse, who are in my position, will say, I didn't realize I was doing it consciously. But I was, you know, ending a relationship here, quitting a job there. All of a sudden, I, you know, I, I found myself in this isolation again so I could start drinking again. And it's, it's a subconscious thing. That, that is what the alcoholic brain wants. It is isolation to drive a wedge between those things that keeps that isolation away. Can you tell us about your daily routine around, around considering the wolves that you may be yeah. feeding? Yeah, happily. Yeah, you know, there's a, it's, I think, believe it's a Cherokee parable you know, the, the feed, the, or sorry, I say feed the good wolf, but the, it's called the two wolves. And, you know, the story just goes old grandfather, you know, his uh, grandson comes up and he's mad at a, another kid. Grand grandfather said, listen, there's two wolves inside of us. You know, one of them is good and patience and honesty and love. The other is, you know, evil and dishonesty and all the anger and all those things. 
And the grandson says, you know, uh, which wolf wins? And he says, the one I feed. And so for me, feed the good wolf is, you know, a reminder to do the little things in my life when I'm faced with choices that make me confident in myself, proud of myself, and show me I'm able to live this sort of uh, this healthier, better lifestyle. And the more I feed the good wolf, the more good I do, the stronger that becomes, the more it becomes who I am as a whole. You know, I believe I am those good things because I do those good things. And so for me, it becomes much easier to make the right choices on big things like should I pick up the next drink? Hmm. Um, that's, you know, a tattoo and I got wolves around me here and just a daily little reminder uh, feeding the good wolf is, uh, yeah, definitely a mantra I live by now. You know, I, I, for people watching on YouTube, I, I, I grabbed this jean jacket off a hanger earlier this morning. Not on purpose, but it does have the lapel pin here. You can see the wolf, and and I think, maybe, hey, hey <laughs> I mean, maybe that that might just be the universe, my man, because that wasn't a, that wasn't a conscious choice that I made. Um, as a matter of fact, yeah. I'm just noticing it right now as the studio lights are hitting the pin. Um, let let me bring this full circle in closing. We're talking to Justin Bourne. Obviously, you got to get to the Sportsnet Studios today, and you got you, you got your work cut out for you this week. Sure, yeah, appreciate yeah. your time. I was talking to a pal. Uh, won't say who it is. Doesn't matter. Um, played pro. Uh, you know the high NHL draft pick played a lot of years captain of a dub team like like has accomplished a lot and uh we were joking around he was just joking around uh but he was talking about how lame it is and he was having fun with it but he he goes you know you bring he goes you bring the prospects now and you bring the young guns and the top picks and the blue chips to these golf tournaments and he goes it's it's boring he goes you can't get them to drink a beer he goes they want their protein shakes they want their vitamin water (laughs) is the culture of hockey changing in the context of what we're talking about? Have, have you noticed it? Well, I just think there's so much money on the line now that like the, you know, every 1% gain you can make, you make now. And so you see less people having five beer lunches after practice, like, you know, me and my friends used to in college and university. So there is the fact that just making it is harder. The level is higher. You know, there's less room for people who live an unhealthy lifestyle, but also, yeah, there's more acceptance and awareness of all different lifestyles and, and choices. And I think we, we bring this sort of problem and concern to the attention of players better than we did before. That's one thing, like I, I wrote this book and I didn't want it to be to blame hockey for the way that I am or my family is because hockey has given me and my family everything we have. It's been my dad's profession and now it's my work. I love hockey, but that doesn't mean I can't recognize that there have been flaws. The push towards excess, you know, when you do drink has always been part of that culture of, you know, the machismo sporting culture thing. But as you mentioned, it does seem to be changing. I think there's less room for it, less acceptance of it. And hopefully like fighting and hazing and those things, it's dwindling around the NHL. Justin Bourne's uh, book is just out last week, Down and Back on Alcohol, Family, and a Life in Hockey. You can buy it anywhere you buy great books. And, of course, you can catch him regularly on Sportsnet, Game Nights, and, of course, on Real Kipper and Bourne on Sportsnet 590. Really value your time, pal. Uh, I barely know you, but can I say I'm proud of you. I'll take it. I I appreciate that, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me, and thanks for furthering this conversation on your program, man. Yeah, you got it. That's an impressive human being right there. Holy. I sure appreciate that. When he said feeding the good wolf or the bad wolf, I don't know. I got choked up. I I could hear it. You had a physical. I wasn't going to mention it, but you had a physical reaction when you said that. Well, I feel like I'm getting emotional right now talking about it, but I feel like we do it every day, whether it's with going speeding in your car or smoking or drinking or opting to get fast food instead of having a sure. home-cooked meal at home i'm getting emotional talking i know about you are it. but like we all fight that demon yeah man like every day whether it's the smallest thing or or an addiction that can be like life-changing and that's wow hmm. i'm gonna write that down i'm gonna tweet that today i'm gonna Isn't keep that, cool? that pinned because yeah that's something yeah that really resonates yeah i mean allison i appreciate man it's it's never i i hope i say it maybe i i don't think i can say it too much but i we just want you to know how much we appreciate uh when you keep it real with us and when you tell us how you're feeling about you know what you're hearing or what you're seeing on the show allison says you know i'm coming up on it on one year uh, from gambling, you know, one year of no gambling says it's prompted my look at my alcohol use. And uh, she says, I'm heading down three months sober as a challenge. And I'm excited to see how it goes. That's amazing. 
Uh, M.A. says, my in-laws uh, drank a 2-6 every night. You know, my mother-in-law held a full-time job until she retired, you know, but at 92 suffered a, an alcohol-related brain injury. It's sad. Brad says, I just love these success stories. You know, it says, I, I, it's what he says, the brain always wants the next fix, and now he's free. This from Hawes. Man, this uh, Haas's comment sort of like punched me right between the eyes in a good way, Haas. Mm -hmm. uh, in the middle of that interview, uh, Haas says there's a fine line between a heavy drinker and an alcoholic. Yeah. And actually, probably there's no line. That, that's probably the same thing. It, it is. Right? Especially these days when like everything is so readily available. I like when he said that, too, where like, you know, some people will be like, oh, can't you just have one glass? Like some people, they just can't. They just can't, right? And yeah. some people, like, they realize they have a problem. And I see people commenting now, moderation is key. And yeah, that is key. For with, some people, that works. But for some people, like, they just can't, right? You know, there's, was it Lauren or someone, someone in our live chat? Yeah, I used to tap the insulation with a baseball bat to find my dad's empties hidden and cash them in myself to buy bootlegged beer. I mean, that's, that's sort of like an intergenerational mm -hmm. uh, type influence or, or type impact on your life. Uh, let us know how, how this resonates with you. I want to read. Jamie sent us an email. Uh, she sent this back on February 2nd. So this has been kind of percolating for a while. And uh, Justin's book coming out was the impetus for us to, to turn this into a segment. But Jamie, I want you to know, as, as much as Johnny hates that I print emails out, uh, this, pa <laughs> <laughs> this paper has been sitting. At, this, this paper has not. We do recycle them. But this paper has not left my desk since you sent it to us, Jamie, and I want to read that in just a second. This conversation is presented by our friends at Complete Care Restoration. They're the ones that built this studio. The studio did not look like this when we signed our lease. And as a matter of fact, there were some water stains on the brick behind me, which was indicative of a, of a leak, of a problem. And we're putting in, you know, a pretty penny's worth of electronics. We said to Kelly and his team, we need to have 100% confidence that this studio is going to be bulletproof. Well, it, it turns out that's exactly what they do. They evaluate problems and then they fix them so you can have confidence in that solution. Now, obviously, the projects that they take on a lot of times are, are, are much bigger magnitude than ours. We're talking major fire damage, flood damage. I mean, perhaps it's your home or business that's been completely leveled uh, by a natural disaster or something else. Chances are that your insurance policy gives you the choice of who does the work. Now, Complete Care hopes that you never have to call them. Obviously, hopes that everything's always picture perfect but when it's not consider complete care restoration they have our unreserved endorsement the dealing with their team was an absolute pleasure if you find yourself in a nightmare scenario you're going to want to visit completecarerestoration.ca to get it fixed with confidence the first time our friends at Local Environmental Services want to remind you if you're in Alberta or Saskatchewan if you're a small business owner heck if you're a big business owner uh, to this team, it's not just garbage, right? It's not just garbage and recycling services. They believe that communities deserve better, better service, better prices, more support for local causes. You know, whether you're working for a township, whether you're working for a big, huge shopping mall, or maybe it's a small ma and pot type restaurant, local environmental services is worth a look. You can request a quote today at localenvironmental.ca. I was driving past our community association, our community hall just the other day. There's a brand new green local environmental bin out there. <laughs> Love to see it. Of course, Trash Talk coming up on Friday, presented by Local Environmental Services. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to have you circle your calendar. Of course, the first of every month, it's 15% off grocery purchases of $75 or more. And of course, that includes coming up in just the next little bit, a week tomorrow, March 1st, your next chance to knock 15% off your grocery bill. That's a huge deal for families on a budget. You can check out Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N for details on the current flyers. And don't forget, they've got a wonderful event coming up at Nate in just a few days. The future of Alberta food. A neat opportunity to check out the up-and-coming superstars from Nate's Hospitality Culinary Arts Program. It's an artisan cuisine challenge. 24 courses, a sit-down experience. You can get your tickets, again, online at Friesen.com. And over the weekend, I got to say, we had a visit to the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. In particular, our home location at the Westmount Dairy Queen John 
for folks that follow me on Instagram, they can check out my story yesterday for family day. We said the families that blizzard together stay together. <laughs> and boy, did we ever enjoy those blizzards. Our Wyatt Rudy, our little guy's big on chicken right now and so he was of course eager to try the sauced and tossed honey barbecue glazed chicken strip basket now he didn't get to all of them because dad had to quality check of course I recommend you do the same these are the best chicken strips in the game and you can order them today at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle Westmount and Baseline Road so we invite you to email us all the time. Talk at ryanjesperson.com. That's what Jamie did uh, back on February 2nd. Uh, her subject line caught my attention right away. To drink or not to drink. Essentially, uh, Jamie's uh, Jamie was the one that got the ball rolling on today's interview with Justin Bourne. She said, Ryan, I've recently uh, started listening to Real Talk. Welcome aboard. Uh, she says, I noticed that multiple times over the course of, of other conversations, the topic of Alcohol has popped up in reference to people quitting drinking or the government changing guidelines. This was Health Canada and the two drinks a week. Uh, Jamie says, I wanted to share a bit about my alcohol story in hopes that that it may resonate with real talkers. Uh, I'm a 41 year old woman in relatively good health. I've been drinking socially since I was 14 uh, and I've been so-called responsibly drinking since my early 20s. What does that mean? Well, to me, it meant not drinking and driving, not blacking out after drinking not engaging in risky behavior, not puking, and rarely ever missing anything due to being hungover. But alcohol has been a part of virtually everything that I've done. The sports I participated in, slow pitch, golfing, curling, the vacations I went on, tropicals, camping, all social events, birthdays, girls' night out, baby showers, weddings, concerts, festivals. It was there during family dinners, going out for dinners, after a long day in the hot tub, I mean, the list goes on again. Jamie says, I want to emphasize, I'm not talking about excessive drinking. I'm not even talking about drinking to get drunk most of the time. Almost a year ago to the day, I started wondering to myself if my relationship with alcohol was healthy, like what I was getting from it, really. And so I started reading books and articles and, and actually listening to podcasts dedicated to the topic. Uh, maybe I'd been living with my head buried in the sand, but the things that I learned about the effects of alcohol on our health shocked me. Now, I won't go into all the stats and all the updated studies, but I can say that I read enough to scare the shit out of me. And a few months went by and I did a little more research. And by mid-June of last year, I just decided to stop drinking. Now, you'd, you'd think that the health reasons alone would have been enough, but my personal reasons for not drinking are many. There was no one big event, just like Justin said. There was no one incident or a singular health scare that, that occurred, like many people assume. I just came to the realization that it was taking more from me than it was giving. She says, I wanted to put this in front of you and the audience, some of the facets that, that, that I think need to be covered in conversations around alcohol. You know, she says that these new Health Canada guidelines for so-called safe alcohol use uh, versus what the Canadian Cancer Society says, which is that there is no safe amount. You know, we need to look at the stats on alcohol-related deaths. We need to look at the cost on our health care system. We need to look at the growing numbers of cirrhosis, particularly in young women, the social conditioning or the drinking culture, things like the Mummy Wine Club, you know, those T-shirts like Mummy's Medicine, she says, I want to talk about making it more normal to not drink. You know, this is what Allison said earlier. You know, people who stop drinking don't always do so because they have a drinking problem. Jamie says the highly successful marketing, lobbying, and brainwashing by the alcohol industry needs to be discussed. What about the emerging market for non-alcoholic beverages available in stores on menus? She says this is a, a growing industry and it's significant. She says, I also think it's remarkable that the NFL is creating sober sections at some of their stadiums. I know the CFL is doing the same thing. And she says, in the whole addiction treatment and the term alcoholic, that may be a topic for an entire show. Jamie says, my intent here is not to preach. It's not even to convince people not to drink. I just want people to open their eyes to some of the information that's out there. I think we're on a precipice. Uh, many uh, in so many ways as we were in the early 2000s with smoking. A culture shift is just beginning. And then 
Jamie, kudos, signs off. Cheers. Ha ha. That from Jamie. <laughs> I love that email. It's weird. I always say cheers to everyone, too. And it is, it's, it's like an alcohol based reference we don't it's even like realize. It's wired right? into like, us. Yeah. Everything's wired into us, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. You know? Do you remember, like, and she references like smoking in the early 2000s? Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, you know, I, was, I bartended at Earl's. I served at Earl's for, for mm-hmm. a couple of years going through college. And, and I think back, coming back from, uh, from working a shift and just reeking like reeking like smoke even if you didn't smoke even if you didn't smoke i I mean i'm sitting there like working and we just come home reeking and and it's almost comical now to think of of the smoking section versus the non-smoking section like the the tables were four feet apart with nothing in between them i mean it was just almost it's it's hard to imagine and now i mean we're aging ourselves it's almost 20 years ago more than 20 years ago but but it's hard to think back and remember it right people smoking on airplanes like even when i even like in the bars. Remember, we used to just smoke on the dance floor and just bump into people with lit cigarettes. It just, it amazes me. And I was talking to my grandmother like a few weeks ago, and she was talking about how like when she was pregnant with my mom and her doctor smoked while doing her checkup in what? The, you know what I mean? Yeah, in, sure. In in the doctor's office. It's it's incredible. Yeah. So you, you and and you remember at the time, uh, you know, there's pushback and and one of my one of my favorite things is people to go back through archive news footage mm-hmm. and then reintroduce it to us like like when seatbelt legislation was introduced and people were talking about their I saw those videos yeah, over the weekend. Like their loss of freedom. Yeah. Or or when government started to impose laws around alcohol yeah. behind the wheel, like exactly drinking and driving. What I was bring up. I saw the video where the lady was like how can the government tell me I can't have three beers and, and drive my car or drink while I'm driving? One guy said that he worried that that it was the opening or it was opening the door to communism. Yeah. Like that you can't drink and drive anymore. Mm-hmm. But you think, I mean, some of these, you know, things, these these laws that come into effect, whether it's seatbelts or drinking or cigarettes or what have you. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like we can't imagine the cultural shift like the you know the, the big the big story when they were talking about eliminating smoking completely from bars and restaurants was that it was going to kill bars yeah. it was going to kill lounges in particular the ones with the vlts mm-hmm. right the gambling machines and uh, and obviously that hasn't happened or to a certain degree they probably saw a drop in revenue but if you look like jamie says just one example the cost on the healthcare system mm-hmm how many people are having that conversation enough? How much do we really realize? Are we willing to go there to grapple with the numbers? Would we want to see the numbers of the of the cost that that the drinking imposes on on administering healthcare mm-hmm. across the country? Yeah, you know, for a lot of people, we may not even want to see it. Uh, Tracy says, my mom talks about how my dad set up a little table for her cigarettes and ashtray in my bedroom when I was a newborn. Says Tracy. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can let us know what you think. Uh, Cherie, my, by the way, listening to, to, uh, Jamie's email says that email really resonates with me. It's something I'm beginning to contemplate personally that from Cherie, if I'm being honest, me too. And I appreciate uh, the honesty. You can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. The beautiful thing about a show like Real Talk is that the conversations can continue, right? We don't have to wrap this up with a bow and call it done. We don't solve an issue. We don't address it completely and walk away never to revisit it again. We hope that these conversations plant seeds with you uh, and that it's something that keeps you thinking uh, as the days and weeks stretch on. Uh, why don't we drop in on our unscientific, unofficial Twitter poll? We've got 276 votes right now. Julie Black's rendition of O Canada. O Canada, our home on native oh, land. Uh, the lyrics at the NBA All-Star game. Yeah, Suede, uh, but not in a huge way. Uh, just under 6 out of 10 respondents with 276 votes now. Just under 6 out of 10. 58% say they love it, and she's right. About 20% say absolutely not, not cool with it. And about 22% say it's complicated. I can understand why some people might feel like it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Because you feel like the lyrics to a... Na- this is the national anthem. And you don't just change the lyrics to the national anthem on a whim. Uh, I understand that. At the same time, I think that the message that she's conveying is an important one. And it's a message that uh, that relates to a conversation that Canadians are having in perpetuity, it seems. And, and that is what is the right way to acknowledge uh, the systemic issues and problems related to uh, Canada being where it's at and Canada's relationship with people that were here before this was a nation. Uh, I know that we're going to get emails on this, and I'm looking forward to it. also wanted to touch on a tweet that I saw over the weekend, 
and I know that some of you saw it as well because you've been tagging us in it uh, from former Canadian darling, Olympic gold medalist, Jamie Soleil. Oh, man. You see this one? So somebody tweets a list of public executions that they'd love to see. Uh, this was a, some no-name Twitter account. I don't know who it is. Uh, to be quite honest with you, sometimes I hesitate to even show these to draw attention to it. Uh, but these are public executions. This person says they would watch on pay-per-view, uh, including Dr. Fauci, Joe Biden, the president of the United States, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada, George Soros, Bill Gates, uh, Klaus Schwab, uh, and Albert Borla. Obviously, these are people related to the uh, World Economic Forum. These are people related to, obviously, some of the biggest governments in the world and uh, some of the most notable capitalists in the world as well, including Bill Gates. Well, Jamie Soleil from her blue checkmark official account says, that looks good and pushes that out. Now, I think the reason uh, I think the reason why Real Talk's getting tagged in these is because of an interview that we had last week with country singer Brett Kissel. And I asked him about uh, Jamie Soleil's endorsement uh, of his album and in particular of his song Line in the Sand. To be clear, I'm not putting this tweet at the feet of Brett Kissel, but I did challenge him on his relationship with Jamie Soleil. I asked him if it's bad for his brand uh, to not only have her praising his album, but to have him celebrating that praise by retweeting her messages. And he said on the show, and you can watch that interview if you haven't already, it was uh, a week ago today. It was last Tuesday that he joined me here in studio for about 40 minutes, that conversation. He said, I know that she's got a good heart. And this is, I think, something that we need to talk about. At, at what point uh, does it go too far? Right. People can explore different theories. They can have their different convictions on things like the vaccine, on things like public pandemic policy, on things like mask mandates, which obviously are not a thing anymore. But don't tell Jamie Soleil or Theron Flurry because they're still continuing to make a great deal of money, I'm sure, with their traveling road show and their new organization, Canadians for Truth. Uh, you know, essentially insisting that we live in a communist dictatorship. If you listen uh, to some of the tweets that they put out and some of the messages that they're championing. Now, my question is, uh, in what world is it appropriate to call for the public executions of government leaders? And this is a question I'd love to ask Ms. Soleil herself. I'm pretty sure that if this were a dictatorship, people that were speaking out, and, and again, I stop myself mid-sentence because it feels like it's almost so ridiculous that it's not worth the time on this show to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But I know that this is resonating with people that want to have these conversations, so we will. If you are living in a dictatorship, if you find yourself in a communist regime speaking out and calling for the cold-blooded execution of that leader... Chances are you're going to find yourself in a precarious situation. You know what I'm saying? Chances are you're not going to be able to speak freely like you are. And as a friend of mine challenged me with over the weekend, the great thought, either Justin Trudeau, Joe Biden, Anthony Fauci, and all of the others named in tweets like this are complete idiots, like the tweets insist, or they're responsible for a well-executed, deeply-rooted, strategic, global conspiracy to pull the wool over all of our eyes. But it can't be both. It can't be total idiots that are also responsible for a global conspiracy. So you got to pick one or the other. And in my opinion, to be quite honest with you, what we're seeing with Jamie Soleil is just sad. And I would love to know exactly what it was that prompted that total turnaround. If you haven't read it yet, I'd recommend you check out the piece that The Star ran just a couple of weeks ago. They requested an interview with Soleil and she turned it down. But they wonder and they deep dive into what changed with her at the beginning of the pandemic, wearing T-shirts that said conquer COVID together, posting photos along those lines, encouraging people to do their parts and here we are about two years later calling for the public execution of global leaders. It's hard to wrap your mind around. And I think it's safe to say reiterates the importance of a question like we asked last week on the show. And that is 
to what degree do allegiances, friendships, or otherwise with voices like this impact somebody's brand? And that's something that obviously Brett Kissel and others will have to wrestle with. You can send us your thoughts on this one. I suspect that they're going to be along the same lines. If you're a big fan of Jamie Soleil and what she's pushing out, you're probably not a huge fan of Real Talk, which is totally fine. If you are, surprise me. Let me know that you're tuning in. And of course, we'll consider putting perspectives out there that might challenge the rest of our understanding of why people feel the way they feel. That mantra, seek to understand. We're going to focus on a wonderful story in just a second with positive reflections presented by Kubi Energy. But first, I want to remind you that this show doesn't happen without sponsors like Park Power. You know, we're about to hit another cold snap in our neck of the woods. I know. I know we're getting sick and tired of it, but it means that that at least for a few days, people's electricity and natural gas use is going to spike again. It means that your costs are going to go up again. Uh, we just got our, uh, in the email inbox, notification that our direct deposit's about to come out with Park Power. And I looked at it and I thought, man, that's a whole lot less than we used to be paying. I remember a couple winters ago what we were paying with the big guys. Uh, Park Power, there's no comparison. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of money that our family is saving. And that's not because we have some special advantage. Any real talker can have that same experience when you bring your business over to Park Power electricity natural gas and internet you can pay less with the different options they have on rates and of course the promo code realtalk23 when you bring your business over to park power using that promo code realtalk23 they're going to knock 50 bucks off your first bill for each of the services you select so if you bring all three over electricity natural gas and internet that's 150 dollars off your first bill from park power Also, a big shout out to our friends at Eden Landscaping. You can check out their portfolio today at landscapeedmonton.ca. We're getting to that time of year where we're starting to think about entertaining outdoors again. We're starting to think about heading out to our backyard, our front yard. Now, the question is, are you going to be proud of what people are seeing, right? We know there's so much potential out there. Yet we fail to realize it because why? Well, because we feel like the job's just too big. We start to think that maybe we can't afford it. Well, these are exactly the types of objections that Eden Landscaping wants to answer. They want to show you how their on-site management can change the game. They want to let you know that you don't have to worry about permits because they take care of it. And of course, they want you to know that they do not leave a job site until their valued customers are completely satisfied. If you've got a problem landscape related that needs solving, we recommend Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. And also a big shout out to our friends at Apex Automation. Our friends at Apex are hiring. They're hiring, as a matter of fact, perpetually yeah that's right like how many companies can we tell you about that are always hiring i had to check in with them the other day and say i wanted to make sure i'm getting this right and they said listen they said we're growing so much we're opening so many different field offices that we need to make sure that we're able to staff those and so they're putting out the call to professional engineers across the country and outside of canada their team has tripled in the last two years That's because the entire world, regardless of industry, is moving toward automation. And that means opportunity for engineers and technologists. If you're looking to get some of your time back, if you're looking to feel a better quality of life or more appreciated on the job site, you can find Apex Automation online at apexautomation.ca. You know, doing a job like this hosting a talk show paying keen attention to the headlines and the news that develops you can find yourself in a bit of a rut and if you're a keen observer of the news cycle you know exactly what i'm talking about war famine natural disaster to me it reiterates the importance of this weekly tradition presented by our friends at kubi renewable energy we focus on the good news stories out there the ones that fill our bucket We call it Positive Reflections. And today, John, we have an update on three fronts from the animal world. These are three 
great news stories that we hope launches you into a short week with a big smile on your face. Number one, monarch butterflies, right? How lucky are you if you're out there and you get to see one of these orange, black, and yellow beauties? Well, it turns out that the annual Western Monarch Count to measure the population of overwintering butterflies has fantastic news for the second year in a row. Yeah, that's right. Surveying a total of 272 overwintering sites. Of course, they migrate across coastal California in November and December. The numbers are just out. Volunteers tallied more than 335,000 individual monarchs. Can you imagine doing that count? Over 130,000 butterflies reported in Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo counties alone. The San Francisco Bay Area witnessing a comeback from last year. More than 8,000 butterflies reported in surrounding counties. Now, this is a welcome reprieve from a dismal total of fewer than 2,000 butterflies counted three years ago. This is back into the zone considered normal from 2000 to 2017. The monarch butterfly population is bouncing back. Now, the wood stork. How much do you know about the wood stork? Well, this beautiful bird was teetering on the edge of extinction almost 50 years ago. The wood stork now widespread across the southeastern U.S. and is preparing a flight off of the endangered species list. Yeah, that's right. Now, this is, uh, according to the ESL, this is the world's most successful conservation program in history. This is the only stork native to North America. Uh, now, uh, in back in 1984, the population had decreased from 20,000 nesting pairs to fewer than 5,000. But this recovery program worked to restore and protect ecosystems that these four and a half foot tall birds call home. Today, the breeding population has doubled to 10,000. So still below the target, but it's doubled, including the coastal plains of Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, and the Carolinas. They've more than tripled their number of nesting colonies in the expanded ranges. Now, the Fish and Wildlife Service in the U.S. is working on a proposal that if this bird is delisted, it will remain a protected species under other legislation like the Migratory Bird Treaty. This is really, really great news for the wood stork. And finally, wanted to show you some video. I'll describe it for those of you tuning in on the podcast. Check this out. This is remarkable footage from the Chester Zoo in the UK where two incredibly rare tiger cubs were born. That's right. Tiny twins born January 7th. The video's just been released. First time parents, Kasarna and her partner, Dash. These births heralded as a major boost for the conservation of these incredible animals. The Sumatran tiger, it's a subspecies, is currently critically endangered. Zookeepers installing these covert cameras in the enclosure to capture these births. They don't even know right now what the future looks like for the species, but they're saying that Kasarna has been a great mom. She's being very attractive to her new infants. She's keeping them snuggled up in the den, feeding them every few hours, making a perfect adjustment. That first time mom, two new arrivals of a critically endangered species. Remember that conversation we had about the role that zoos are playing and mm -hmm. how they're evolving? You yeah. can find that in our archives. Here's an example out of the UK's Chester Zoo. If you see a story that made you feel better about the world around you. Maybe it's a personal experience you had, some random act of kindness somebody passed forth. We would love to hear about it. To talk at ryanjesperson.com. Positive Reflections is presented every week by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get a free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. Coming up on tomorrow's show, you've heard about the new president at Athabasca University, appointed in controversial circumstances. Well, the good doctor is going to join us right here on the show to talk about it and to let us know how AU figures that they can help quell Canada's healthcare crisis. Plus, she's an absolute force of nature and she's the star of a new CBC show. Bean Gill is going to join us live in the Real Talk studio. That's coming up tomorrow right here. Make it a great Tuesday, friends, and thanks for being a part of Real Talk.
Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Randy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.